you might feel powerless at times. You might be overwhelmed by work, the news, and ongoing disasters in the world. So how do you take back control in your life? How do you get back purpose? You'll want to hear from Tom Chi in this encore presentation from the Imagine Talks Annual Symposium. Tom Chi has worked in a wide range of roles, from astrophysical researcher to Fortune 500 consultant to corporate executive developing new hardware and software products and services. He's pioneered and practiced a unique approach to rapid prototyping, visioning, and leadership that can jumpstart innovative new ideas, as well as move large organizations at unprecedented speeds. He's even most recently served as head of product experience at Google X, developing technologies such as Google Glass and Google's self-driving cars. Now, here's Tom Chi with We Are One and All. Hey, Tom, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. It's great to have you back in the Bay Area with us. Um, you are definitely one of my favorite TED Talk speakers, and I'm so honored to be able to talk with you today face-to-face -to -face via Zoom. Um, before I jump into any of my questions, would you be able to, to do us the honor to introduce yourself a little bit? Um, where, where you came from, what are some significant uh, milestones that went in through your life that helped you bring you to where you are today as an investor, an inventor, um, and, and just a wonderful thought leader? Sure, yeah. So, um, lifelong inventor. I've got seven, I'm a named inventor on 75 patents and have probably patented only about 3% of what I've built because <laughs> mostly had to go do it relative to things that were going to go commercial. Um, you know, uh, so been doing that my entire life, but like expressed through uh, doing all sorts of research work. So I, I did scientific research in astrophysics. I did engineering research in in robotics, um, it, you know, uh, sensor fusion, advanced computing architectures, bunch of different areas. And then I went into industry and worked at Microsoft. I was an executive at Yahoo, also, um, you know, a uh, senior leader at Google that helped to start the Google X team where I got to work on the yes. self-driving car, Google Glass, bunch of things like that. And then after that, I wanted to go use these kind of invention skills and Excel, you know, uh, the skills around accelerating innovation and point them not necessarily at just cool new tech that we could make, but at um, at things that we could make that could address major global issues. So things like the um, climate destabilization that's being driven by you know too many greenhouse gases or uh, all the other ways that that uh, the economy is not compatible with the natural world. So the the idea of my current work is basically to use all of the you know invention and innovation skills but but um you know apply them towards supporting companies that are radically shaking up the industries that are negative to nature so we can kind of create an economy that both serves humanity and serves nature at the same time i love that all right so basically um doing what we're constantly doing but being much more respectful mindful and and responsible to our environment and our planet and obviously the world we live in. I love that. 
Um, well, just one little tweak on that, like yeah. the, the actual um, tagline for our new firm, which is called At One Ventures, but the tagline for our new firm is to, is to help humanity become a net positive to nature. So the mm -hmm. idea is you eventually push for a civilization where uh, the fact that humans on the, uh, that are on, um, the fact that humanity is on the planet actually helps nature become healthier every year. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. What are it's, some- It's really pushing beyond that sense of like, let's stop doing damage or just be more responsible or whatever. It's like, we actually do, uh, well, we are getting a better and better mm -hmm. understanding over time of how, of how natural systems and cycles work and which activities we do are detrimental to it. And also which activities we do that can be actively additive to it. And if you kind of flip around the design problem, you basically say, no, actually, what if we designed an economy that was not only additive to humans, but was additive to all of nature? Wow. It, wow. It, it kind of puts it like nature instead of being the, uh, on the other side of the table, like a mm -hmm. resource we're drawing from, we're kind of like all on the same side, like we're working together because uh, humanity wants to be prosperous and it wants nature to be prosperous at the same time because that's the mm. most prosperous world we could end up with. I love that. I love that. Then can you share with us within obviously uh, confidentiality understanding, are there any particular projects that at one venture is working on that you're especially excited about? Uh, let's see, I'm wearing the sweatshirt for one of them. This one's called Dendra Systems and they're basically able to restore ecosystems about a hundred times faster, three times cheaper than anything we've ever done. Wow. And um, they're already working up at like, you know, 10,000 hectare restorations. So oh already, quite, already quite large areas and they are on a trajectory that they could credibly be restoring a hundred thousand hectares in a single project, you know, within 18 months. And That's they've amazing. already planted, they've already restored ecosystems all around the world, you know, mangroves, tropical rainforests, temperate forests, you know, arid uh, lands like uh, a mixture of grasslands and, and uh, light tree cover. So, so they've worked in, in uh, lots of different settings on four different continents and mm -hmm. in all those settings, they have uh, dramatically reduced the cost and uh, very dramatically reduced the time to go restore ecosystems. Fantastic, okay. Um, I also want to ask you this if you don't mind, um, I understand that you also had a powerful personal journey that really helped you see the importance of not taking life for granted and making sure that you live every moment uh, to its fullest and, and, not, and not waste any of it. And probably was one reason why I think that you are constantly um, working nine hours a, a day, but you're doing it with things that I think you love and are you passionate about. Um, would you be willing to share with us something that you that, that incident you've gone through that really made you appreciate uh, your time here on earth and not wasting any of the opportunities presented to you? Sure. I mean, I guess the, the very short version of it is I um, effectively died or almost died when I was 29. And the, the reason that that happened was I was an executive at Yahoo and mm -hmm. I had been uh, just taking on more and more responsibility because the entire way, way that I kind of built up my career was just to uh, take more responsibility, learn more, work harder, just kind of push through it. And I think that works fantastic if you're an individual contributor. There's only so much that you would expect a person to be able to do. So, you know, I was always doing more than what you'd expect a single person to be able to do. And 
that got me a lot of visibility. I also got a lot of great work done. It also, you know, um, got my name in the mix in terms of like, oh, who should be leading people? And I remember, you know, when I first started out, I like my first team was about five people. And that's not too hard from the management perspective. Um, but I had this habit, which uh, was which was great for my employees in, in a way in that, let's say, you know, you were somebody who worked, you know, uh, in my team and 90% of the job is going, you know, well for you. You're really like locked in doing a fantastic job of it. 10% of it you're struggling with. Well, a lot of times, like when my, my employees would come to me with that, I'd be like, you know what? We just got to get the mission done. I'll take on your 10%. Mm. And look, when you got five people, you know, you grab 10% from this person, five from this person, 10% from that person. It increases your workload a bit, you know, but maybe it goes from 100% to 130%. And that was something I could still handle. But I basically kept that habit going as my team, you know, became 20 people and 50 oh, people. Wow. And, yeah. And like uh, when you grab 5% from 50 people, all of a sudden you have, you know, more than any human being can handle. And I did not recognize that this was the case, but I was exhibiting all kinds of stress behaviors. Like I would, I would come in in the morning and then fill up like a 24 ounce cup just with ice. And I would just chew on ice in the morning while I was, I was doing my emails and kind of clearing out, uh, you know, lots of things for the day. And um, which is by the way, a, ter a Terrible for your teeth. I had great teeth until I did that. So don't do that. If you are tempted to chew ice, uh, take it from me. That will ruin your teeth. But, um, but I had all these stress behaviors to kind of try to manage the stress of taking on the workload of, I don't know, three or four people. Uh, but what was actually happening is that my body was uh, very negatively responding to all that stress, you know, just like, uh, you know, stress can be related to digestive issues and ulcers and all that sort of thing. Then something like that was happening for me in my lower GI tract. And basically when I was uh, 29 during Christmas break, I was, you know, hanging out with my friends and um, we we're just playing video games like old times. And I, I was going down the hall to the bathroom and I like collapsed in the hallway before I could get to the bathroom. And my friends called the, the ambulance because uh, they couldn't revive me. And what had happened is my lower GI tract actually burst open. Oh, I was uh, doing massive internal bleeding. Uh, and of course you don't look like anything's wrong. You just like, look like you're collapsed. So, so the, the EMTs like picked me up. We got me to the hospital within about 20 minutes. Um, and then they started to check out my vitals and very quickly it went from, you know, doesn't look like there's anything wrong to like, Oh, this person's about to die. And then they called a lot of people over and, you know, um, sometimes you're losing blood. They'll give you a, a blood transfusion to, to kind of stabilize you. I had lost so much that they had to do four simultaneous transfusions. And then after that happened, then that was still not enough. They had to immediately do another four simultaneous transfusions. Um, and before they started the transfusions, like I knew that stuff was really, really wrong because I could basically feel myself dying. Like when you, when you are almost out of blood, what your body does is it it shunts all of the blood to just the heart and the lungs. They said, well, we can give up on literally everything else as long as we're able to go run those things. But some of the things that it gives up in the process is all of your internal organs. So those can fail from lack of oxygen. And also it gives up on your brain, gives up on your brain before your, your heart and lungs. And, um, and I actually felt that happening to me, you know, in those minutes before the transfusion, I felt 
my extremities going like, you know, ice cold because all the blood was coming into the core. I felt like effectively my body shutting down. And I, I kind of knew in a way that uh, I was dying, though it was not confirmed until the next morning when the when the doctor told me that I was about a minute away from irreversible brain and organ damage. And then oh shortly God. after that, you die. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I basically was about a minute from death and I, I got to feel the experience of dying very clearly. And it, um, and that there's a whole story around that, which like led to my everything is connected talk, but the most immediate lesson, was basically I woke up the next morning and ultimately they gave me 10 blood transfusions because they gave me a couple more even after those, you know, four simultaneous plus four simultaneous. Um, but I woke up the next morning, you know, most of a human being is liquid. Most of that liquid is blood. And I had most of my blood, you know, switched out uh, right. over the course of the night. Right. And I kind of woke up that morning and it's like, I might be more other people than I am myself this morning right. just by mass. Right, because you're right. mostly liquid and most of that liquid's blood. Um, and I'm only alive right now because of the generosity of like 10 people that I'm never going to be able to meet or thank. Right. And there's something about that which was exactly the message that I needed because what's implicit in the message of, oh, when times get tough, just like buckle down, work harder, take more responsibility, that sort of thing is, is this implicit sense that the world is not there supporting you, right? That you need to take on more to go support others only. That's the only direction the arrow flows. But when you wake up the next morning and there's 10 people that without which you would already be dead and you don't even know them, you can't even thank them that, and they, they not only helped you, like their, you know, their blood, the stuff that, that their, you know, that their lives created is now in you, like mm -hmm. allowing you to breathe and live. Yeah. And there's no kind of deeper sense of support than you can have than you have basically given me the, the fundamental chance to live. Right. And, um, and it made me like reset and reflect a lot about like my model of what a strong leader was and what it meant to, to um, do anything in the world and the, the ways that we are, are, you know, constantly relying on each other, but we have this kind of hero mythology around, uh, you know, the journey that we must take and all the trials that we must overcome, not realizing that, you know, 99% of your life, you know, is possible and, and, and uh, is happening because of the support of others. Mm -hmm. And yes, we should be bold and we should push on the 1% that is ours. But like you think about it differently. You don't feel so alone, actually, when you know that 99% of your life, you know, is uh, comes through the... It, it's kind of like the, the blessings and the work of, of others that have come before or are concurrent to you now. Wow, that was so powerful. And, and you're right, like that life-giving blood came from their body that they generated the genesis of their bodies. And it now, or at that moment in time, uh, transferred its life-giving properties to you, right? And, and kept you alive to go on and do great things. So, wow, that is so insightful and, and, and so powerful. Thank you for sharing that story, Tom. Yeah, no problem. So, yeah. so the, the whole talk of how, and I understand even more now when, when you talk about the talk of how everything is connected. Um, I, and I have to ask this question because this is such a timely question. 
if everything is so connected, which I truly believe it is at this point now, more than ever, um, 2020, and now we're in 2021, was a huge psychological, historical, um, just philosophical, obviously financial, health, everything was just impacted by this, by this one phenomenon. If everything is connected, what kind of ripples do you see that this kind of phenomenon do you, that, that's happened in 2020, that started 2020, is obviously still continuing on in 2021. What kind, what kind of potential ripples or effects do you see um, disconnecting with everything else in, in things that you feel like is worthy to mention uh, in this talk uh, that, that 2020 has basically started as a, a ripple effect in the pond? Yeah, I mean, the thing about a pandemic disease is it, um, you know, it obviously started in one location. There was like a person that was the very first infected. And over the course of like, you know, a little over a year, it's, it's reached a hundred million people. And in order for that to happen, humans had to be directly in contact with other humans. It's not like you can put that on a web server and then somebody, you know, like 5,000 miles away gets it. it. So like that actually just shows you that there is a direct in-person line of connection, you know, between that one person and the hundred million people in less than a year. Yeah. Um, and, hmm. you know, I think there's a lot that you could take from that, though, you, though, you know, it's very highlighted by a pandemic disease because it gives you like this acute, you know, negative response that you're going to remember. But like what's true about that was, is actually true of all the stuff that we do. You know, we might think like, oh, you know, I'm just dumping some pollution in this one river and it's really just around my town and whatever. And then it, it rolls out to the ocean and it's affecting fish that people are going to go eat, you know, um, 20,000 miles away. Right. And the more that we just have those concrete examples, because there's basically been a push for, for consumerism and individuality, you know, as like these, these dual ideals. And one of them say, oh, well, consumerism, it's going to go drive the economy and the economy is going to lift all boats and da, da, da. And I think we are, uh, you know, the, the breakdown of the economy, you know, in 2020 also made it clear that like the lifting of all boats is definitely not uh, very well distributed. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely not all boats. So like we should go challenge that notion around like is consumerism the whole kind of thing. And then around individuality, individuality is kind of like held up like a Oh, you know, when things go amazingly, then you get all this extra, all these extra choices and agency in life, and then you can strike out and be your own person and that's it. But, you know, there's something about that that doesn't really acknowledge that you get to be your own person because so many other people are thriving, right? Like th those are the situations where a person really gets to be their own person. If you are trying to be your own person and then you're just surrounded by misery, you know, or you, you know, end up needing to take care of folks that have been let down by the system, then all of a sudden, like, you know, individuality is, well, basically individuality is not a value that you can go and pursue in the abstract. That, and it's, and it's also something that might, you know, lead us into a type of 
illusion around like, hey, well, I made enough money. I got mine. Like I'm basically covered. It's like, no, I mean, if you really look at this, you are still, you know, feeling the shocks of this. Now, maybe not as economically, but like not being able to go out and eat at a restaurant or not being able to go, you know, um, watch a movie or see a play or what have you, like, or, or go out and listen to music, right? Like there's things that start to encroach that, that make you recognize that the kind of the, the myth of being separate and this, this, you know, individual with agency and that and holding that as a, a really high goal um, above caring about the co-flourishing of, of everyone around you, uh, that's misguided as well. So I think there's a bunch of things, and these are more kind of like Western-centric sensibilities. You know, obviously in, in the U.S., like individuality and capitalism are, are very highly regarded. Um, but I'll say like, we, we got to go look at those pretty seriously. Like to the extent that we keep doing them, then we can't, we definitely can't keep doing them the way we have been doing. Right. What are some things that you think that you hope um, from a national and hopefully a global perspective as a global village, using that term, that we've learned going forward into the 2020s um, that we'll do differently, um, that we've seen ourselves do for the last several decades the same way over and over again? Well, I mean, this is still a big open question, but the fact that we had multiple um, relief bills for for coronavirus, you know, two point two trillion dollar one, you know, Biden's about to propose an, like a one point four trillion dollar one, and then we had like a eight hundred billion one in between, something like that. Then, you know, forever we have been saying that we can't tackle the big problems like climate destabilization. You know, we can't ta tackle the big problems in the world because it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. But like all the proposals to go and address those big problems were way cheaper than what we you know, spent on coronavirus this year. And not even necessarily to improve anything. It was basically just like, oh, um, uh, like you guys are all out of work. Like we want to make sure that you don't starve. Like, well, sure, not starving is very valuable to go after, but it's not like the system is like way stronger, you know, than it was before. You're just trying to like have it not collapse. Right. And like when when you think about, you know, the sort of budgets that we argued about and all the rationales for why we we had to wait a bit longer to go address the the big issues in society, then I think that it's going to be harder to make those excuses after we have, you know, in the course of a year spent three trillion or more um, doing stuff that is is not necessarily uh, increasing the fundamentals of the of um, human welfare or the economy. Like it is really just preventing a collapse, like I said. Now that said, you can say, well, preventing the collapse, like it would be more expensive if we collapse for sure, but it would also be way less expensive to build something that was robust that yeah. didn't have that type of possibility of collapse where collapse wasn't so eminent when something goes wrong for a couple months. Right, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, I think if anything, uh, what I've learned this uh, this past year was that we were all living pretty much um, on, on almost like a. I, I teach my students the the three little pigs, right? I think we were all living in in a, in a house of straw. Mm -hmm. 
right? And the minute, and you know, as long as there's no wind and no storm, everyone is fine and happy, right? Um, because there's no reason not to build a stronger house. But the minute something like this comes and finds that Achilles heel that brings the whole straw house down, instead of trying to build another straw house or try to keep the straw from falling, you're right, we should be looking at what a brick house looks like. Yeah, and it is, of course, like the, the hard stuff in how you design the economy, but it's also the soft stuff in terms of like, you know, have we become so individualistic that we don't have people around us that can care for us? Right, right. You know, it's like that, that is way more of a question of how one envisions like, you know, socially what success looks like. And th this has mm -hmm. been a longstanding trend, but there's, there's like, you know, a study that was done that was talking about how many close friends that people have. And like since the 1980s, the, that number has, has decreased by a half. Sure. So like people have half as many close friends now than they did in the, you know, 1980s, 1990s. It's like, oh, well, yeah, no, I think we all feel it. We feel the social isolation. We feel trying to use social media to kind of like fill in the gap, but that doesn't necessarily create close friendships. Maybe it helps you to like stay in touch with some close friends. But, uh, but yeah, that, that kind of is illustrative of a, of a erosion that is happening in terms of um, a really well-nourished um, emotional life. Right. And so what I'm also getting here and understanding is that this is not a problem that can be solved by money or finance or quick fix. This is something that we need to, like you said, we have to take a, a good hard look at our deeper philosophies. What, what are some fundamental things that if you could share with the audience that you think we need to do, hopefully, at least as a nation, I don't know if we do this globally, but at least a nation to work towards in the next several years, decades, to try to fundamentally shift our understanding of how we've lost some of these basic nurturing values along the way? What are, what are the things we, we, you think we should start focusing on to get back to the human basics again of being a person? Yeah, so, so just to be clear, there are some external things that can be addressed with you know, smart allocation of capital mm -hmm. and, and uh, investment and money broadly. And then there are a bunch of internal things, which I think uh, as you are are raising um, will certainly not be solved with uh, with money or at least not money alone. Um, you know, when it comes to the things like that, there there is a significant kind of breakdown. You know, in being able to go assess where the truth is coming from, and historically, science, journalism, things like this have been the the things that we kind of look to to say, well, look, there is a way that we can establish. Uh, scientifically, what happens when a virus does this or that, mm -hmm. or you know, journal, you know, uh, journalism-wise, like that a event specifically took place or didn't take place, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you know, for for a number of reasons that are way too long to get into, then uh, a, a number of powerful people around the world have been pushing to erode the confidence in things like science and things like the press and journalism and, and so on and so forth. And that is like the natural first step to be able to uh, manipulate people because right. you kind of take away their ability to see what's true. Mm -hmm. And then you can 
pop in there and whether it's through social media, which is one way, one avenue that people have been manipulating folks or whether it's through speeches or whether it's through in-person stuff, you know, like the most important underlying arc is that kind of erosion of the sources of truth. So like the way to go fight this, fight back on this is, um, and you know, you want these sorts of things to be fixed quickly, but like in seeing how far things have gone askew, then you just got to presume it's going to take a generation. Right. And that generation is, is a generation, you know, we've already pushed to say, oh, there should be more people in STEM careers or STEAM careers. That's great. Uh, absolutely more people with good literacy and numeracy, you know, and a foundation in science, like absolutely helps a good amount on the science part of it. On, on the journalism part of it, yeah, we probably need to go adjust some things in terms of the business model of journalism because the, you know, we keep rewarding the organizations that, um, that spread lies because they get the ratings and they get the, the views and clicks and all that sort of thing. So like, that's basically like a lie generating machine. And whether you point at the social media companies as being like the root of all the problem, or you point at the business model of, of you know, modern media as the root of all problem, or you, you can pin it on the people too. It's like, oh, we keep on clicking on those things. Yeah. Um, it, it almost doesn't matter exactly what the root is. Like we can, we can identify that the dynamic overall is, is um, creating confusion and misery and that we got to go in and stop the dynamic overall. And around truth, man, this is getting into a whole kind of mini lecture, but like, you know, I think people need to understand that there's, there's three different types of truth. So there are scientific truths about the natural world. And you can tell these types of truth because they were true even before humans were around, mm -hmm. right? Like the laws of physics, you know, electromagnetism, you know, uh, like all of biology. These are things that worked away even before, you know, worked the way that they do even before humans were around, uh, you know, ecosystems, all that kind of thing. Uh, and then, and there's a entire set of things that you can go verify about the world that fit into that first sensibility of truth, which are you know, resolvable via scientific truth. Then there's the second type of truth, which is social truth. And this has a lot more to do with like consensus. You know, is, is Madonna or Prince like the best pop star in the whole world, uh, you know, in history? It's like, well, that, that would be a social truth. Like if you said it was, you know, Prince or you said it was Madonna, it's because just a bunch of people said like, oh, we really like that music. Therefore, you know, the, you know, this is the queen of pop and this is, you know, I guess Prince would be the Prince of pop, who knows, right? So, right. so like, um, so something like that is, is true, but it's true because of consensus. Okay. It's not absolutely true. Like, you know, in all of history, there has never been a musician more skillful than those two musicians. It's like, no, there's lots of musicians with all these different skills, but if the majority of the populace is kind of agreeing on a thing, then, then it works well enough for social truth. And then, uh, and then there is the third type of truth, which is personal truth. Okay. And personal truth are things like, you know, a person grows up in a conservative household, but maybe they're queer. And they mm -hmm. kind of personally know that that's the case. Uh, and their local social truth might be like, no, that's not allowed. Like, you know, our community isn't like that. Or in our church, we don't allow that. Or, you know, mm -hmm. in our religion we don't allow that um and this is where the rub comes in right it's basically like 
uh, and personal truth, uh, you know, the only person that can go verify a personal truth is that person. Because like, you know, uh, even if you had a social consensus that said, oh, you know, we don't think so-and-so is gay. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, it, only that person can go verify that that's their personal truth. And like most of the problems that we're having about truth come at the collision points between those three different types of truth. And what, right, so, so now remember, um, the scientific type of truth works with or without human beings. Like that one's really, really stable. And that's the one that I spend most time on in my career. And because of it, I have felt more comfortable in these times because there is a way for me to go figure out at least scientifically what is true. Um, but like a lot of times people will go and try to muddle the scientific with the social where it's like, well, a lot of people are really concerned about so-and-so or people are really concerned that, you know, the, that the virus, you know, uh, didn't come from animals that came from this other thing. It's like, well, that's the thing that you can actually just scientifically establish. You don't try to go and put it up to an appeal to social truth that said, right. if enough, enough people like this post, then it must be a real thing that's happening. And, and because people don't have that clarity of distinction, then it becomes, you know, conspiracy theories abound all over the place. Because they're like, oh man, well, 3 million people like this post, then they're probably, it probably is true, right? And that's them using their social truth, you know, um, you know, monitoring system, as opposed to understanding that something like a virus is primarily governed by scientific truth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, so first off, you should be able to identify what type of truth is applicable here. And, you know, secondly, um, if there is a conflict, then you need to ask yourself, well, okay, where did the, where the source of the conflict come from? Because what is mostly happening in the modern day is, is powerful leaders and people that are looking to take down existing systems of, of organization, you know, uh, for their own gain are, are basically appealing to social truth to go overwrite mm -hmm. personal truth and overwrite scientific truth. Uh, mm -hmm. That's mainly the vector of damage that's happening here. I can, I can, I can, I can understand that. I can totally see how that's, how that is happening. Um, and I can literally, and, and it's been so prevalent obviously in this past year um and i knew i knew this was gonna happen we are we're literally out of time at this point i knew i could talk with you all day on on just everything but uh this is pretty much approaching the, the last minute do you have anything that you want to share uh with our viewers before we close out any any last words of wisdom uh that you want to give them as we go forward in 2021 right now you know there's there's a lot of things that are worth doing to build a better world. And what I would advise folks to do is as much as possible, get your hands, you know, directly on it. And because uh, a lot of folks are like, oh, you know, I really care about so-and-so, but I don't really know what to do. And in, in that case, it's like, call up the organizations that are getting their hands directly on it and see how you can be helpful, even in the smallest ways. because. I feel like a lot of folks, you know, either give up the power and they basically say, well, you know, if only I could uh, elect the right person or, you know, if enough people saw my post or, you know, if I, if I, you know, could earn enough money in my careers so that afterwards I could retire and give a little money to this stuff, then I might be able to go help with these problems. 
And I'm just going to say, we we don't necessarily have the time, and the and those problems are are longing for your skills. Right. And you know, when when I when I left Google to start working on, you know, social and environmental good, I, I went to a bunch of villages where people live on less than two dollars a day. I went to the places where the ice calves were calving and the and the palm you know oil plantations were coming up you know after mass deforestation and it's like and it actually turned out there that there were a bunch of useful things that I could do and that I did do yeah, but there was no way for me to know that I could be useful or not before actually just saying like you know let's just roll up the sleeves and give it a shot I don't even know if I can be useful or how I can be useful but let me just get roughly in the territory try to listen and learn from the people that are making a difference and then roll up the sleeves and pitch in in the ways that I can. And I think something like that goes and pushes against that malaise and that sense of powerlessness mm. that people are struggling with. Like the attraction to conspiracy theories is part of the sense of trying to get a little bit of control and power back from a situation that seems to be spinning out of control. But another way to get control and power back is to be able to directly work on you know, fixing or taking care of the things that really matter to you. Uh, so that's what I would advise. If there's anything that that really matters to you, or it breaks your heart that that the world works in a particular way, get directly involved, even if it was for four hours a week. You know, get directly involved with organizations or people that are concretely working on it, not just talking about it or or you know trying to do a social media campaign about it. Like get into the real real, like that that actual human beings are clearly being helped on the other side or actual, you know, um, you know, organisms in, in nature are being actively helped on the other side. Like make sure that the, the doing is happening and not just the talking and stay around the organizations where, where they have more doing than talking. I love that. Thank you so much again for all your words of wisdom, Tom. I always learn so much every time I spend time with you. Um, I hope I hope I get a chance to meet you sometime in person uh, this year or at the very latest beginning of next year. But uh, until then, please take care of yourself, your family, and I will hopefully talk with you again soon, okay? Absolutely. Okay, take care, Tom. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode with Tom Chi. To learn more about Imagine Talks, go to www.imagintalks.org. Edge Interns and Mental Power Hacks supports this podcast. Edge Interns sources the best interns to the best companies. Learn more at E-D-G-E. That's edgeinterns.com. Mental Power Hacks is where you'll get life hacks to boost your mental performance, productivity, and success. Connect at mentalpowerhacks.com. Subscribe to us and get the latest episodes of Imagine Talks podcast, Achieving Success, Social Impact, and Overcoming Obstacles. See you next episode.